Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 830, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen. Woo! <laughs> we ready? Let's open then uh, to 1 Thessalonians. We're ready to hear the word of God this morning. Our hearts are softened and opened. Our blood is pumping. We're ready to be the church this morning. So let's hear from the word of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to chapter 2 and verses 1 through just the first half of verse 7. Verse 1 through 7a. Hear now the word of the Lord. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you His gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. Pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts on our hearts, the convictions of our spirit, Lord, would all be shaped and directed and made to hold a deep and abiding passion for you and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Embedded and always faithful. Nobody likes to stand out. Nobody likes to be the standout, the odd, the odd one in the room. If you don't believe me, just go to a football game, and you'll recognize human beings are herd creatures. <laughs> a friend of mine uh, back in Atlanta got me tickets to a Georgia Tech game. We went together to a Georgia Tech game, and this was a friend who worked for a very large electrical contracting company in the city, one of the biggest, and he was one of your friends, you know, these friends that you have that always know how to get tickets to the right things at the right time, good friends to have. And so he got these tickets, so I said, sure, I'll come along, and we, we got to Bobby Dodd Stadium, and I'm used to sitting, when I go to a large game like that, I'm used to sitting in section 450ZZ, you know? Those sections where the players are actually bigger if you watch the game on your phone than if you watch. But we got into the stadium and we started going down toward the field, closer and closer. And I looked over at my buddy and he said, yeah, I got these tickets from the owner of the company. So I started feeling a little out of place. You know, like, I don't belong here. But not only that, but because, uh, not only because the seats were so nice, so close to the field, but I looked around and I was the only one not wearing gold and black. 
which I hadn't given any thought to it, and besides, who owns a gold sweater? But it got a little worse when the opposing team ran out on the field, and they were wearing the exact colors I had on. And then it got worse still when the Yellow Jackets, true to form, blew the game in the fourth quarter and lost to the opposing team. And there I was wearing their colors, and I can still feel the glares <laughs> of all those eyes. And there was no way to explain. You know, I don't even, I don't, I don't, you know. I couldn't tell them. Nobody likes to stand out. Nobody likes to stand out. But let me tell you, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a Christ follower in a world like this, in a time like this, in a culture like this, if you're going to stand with Jesus, you're going to stand out. You're going to stand out. In fact, you're supposed to stand out. Your presence is God's purpose. Let's say it together. Your presence is God's purpose. You've been embedded to bear witness, to shine like a light bearing witness to Jesus. There's purpose to you being here and standing out and being a little bit different. The question is, can you stay faithful? Can we stay faithful to Jesus in a world that pulls us away from Him? Can we stay in contact, stay embedded in the world that God has placed us in and change the whole by being apart? Can we stay faithful to Jesus in contact with the world? That's the challenge, isn't it? How do we do that? That's our call. That's our purpose. That's what we want to learn how to do. Why? Because the best argument for the gospel is a people who believe it. If you're a note taker, if you write on the back of your bulletin, that's what I want you to write down this morning. The best argument for the gospel is a people who believe it. The church in Thessalonia, the church of Thessalonians in God, in Christ, they were feeling some of this. They were feeling this tension. They had converted. We learned about that last week. They had converted and people knew they converted and they were talking about them. Flip back to verse 1, 9, chapter 1, verse 9. They tell, that's other people, tell how you, the Thessalonians, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They tell how you turned. Now, that's, that's radical conversion. They turned from a certain direction. They turned. They were in a position of, of worshiping idols. They were in a position of devoting themselves to, to empty things, useless things, useless things that demanded more and more of them and delivered less and less. And, and they were worshiping these things. That's where their heart was devoted to useless things. And they turned. They converted 
Their heart was now devoted first and foremost to the living God, the God who sent His Son Jesus Christ into the world, Jesus who lived and died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, and is now awaited from heaven. Their heart, fully devoted to these useless things, is now devoted fully to the living God in Jesus Christ. They converted. Have you converted? Have you experienced conversion? Not just thinking, this isn't just thinking some Christian thoughts. This isn't just adding some Christian ideas to my life. This is a conversion where what my heart was once devoted to in the foremost place, what was once on the throne of my heart is deposed and left behind and I have turned to the living God in Jesus Christ. Have you converted? Have you turned? Friends, if you have, you'd know it changes everything about you. And the Thessalonians were feeling this. They had converted. They had left behind their past ways and they were now in a relationship with the living God and everything about them changed. But what they felt was they suddenly felt a little bit odd. They suddenly felt a little bit strange. Things felt different at work. They felt different at school. They used to run with the herd. They used to easily go along with the crowd. But now things felt different. People were looking at them. Things maybe felt different in a marriage where one person knew the Lord and had, and had totally changed their life and the other person was still living in the same patterns. It feels different. Even in closest relationships, it felt like a round peg in a square hole. Like a Big Ten fan at a Georgia Tech game. <laughs> like a Raiders fan in a, well, you know, anywhere. <laughs> we love you if you're here. We love you. The point is this, your inner life changes. Your, your deepest devotions, your deepest passions shift. Where you, you spend your energy, where your love is directed changes and suddenly there's a light in you but the world doesn't understand that light and you start to feel a little bit out of place in your own world. It's meant to be that way. There's purpose in the difference. It's on purpose that you feel different. Paul wrote to another group of believers that felt suddenly out of place in their city, a city of well-worn and defined values, and they felt out of place. And he wrote to them in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that tell you? That tells you that, that there's a pressure coming our way. There's a mold being pressed in upon us. And in, in the face of that, we are not to be conformed. We're to be transformed. We're to push back. We're not to be pressed into that mold or shape, but we're to oppose that pressure, to oppose it with an equal and opposing force, to push back and keep our Christian shape in the world. 
The Thessalonians had experienced this. Verses 6 through 8 of chapter 1 again. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Even in the middle of severe suffering, in the middle of, of great pressure, of waves of pressure pushing against them, they received the message of the gospel. The gospel got to them. It got in them. And they knew Jesus. And they were saved. And they were different. And so, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only, not only in this region, your faith in God has become known everywhere. You see, now you stand out. You're a people not like the other people. You're, you're particular. You're, you're different. You stand out. You, you look a little bit different. There's a contrast. That difference is intentional. And so hang tough and keep your Christian shape. Stay faithful. The pressure is on purpose and the difference is intentional. It's to reveal a contrast. You have been embedded to bear witness to Jesus and your presence is God's purpose to let the world see the beauty of His Son and His holiness. Friends, Christ's strongest case is Christ's faithful people. The best argument for the gospel is a people who believe it because if you believe it, you'll, you'll live it. And if you believe it and if you're part of a community that believes it, then people get to see the change. They get to see the contrast. You become a proof. You become a case for Christ just by being His and being in the world where you live. You become a, a proof, a witness. You become an argument for Jesus. And not that we want to go out and win arguments or win the case. We're not out to, to win the case. I heard uh, Bob Goff say uh, earlier this week, I don't want people to meet my opinions. I want people to meet Jesus. Amen? I could win you over to my opinion. Whoop-de-doo. I don't want people to meet my opinion. I want people to meet Jesus. How am I embedded as a witness to the glories of Christ? That's the question. We don't stand to win the case. We stand where we are for Christ to win the soul. The best argument for the gospel is a people who believe it. But what happens now? What we find is that those who don't see God don't see God. Can you see that I'm operating at a very high intellectual level? <laughs> if they don't see God, they can't see what God does. Those who don't see God, they don't see God. 
And so they don't understand what he's doing. They don't understand how he operates. They don't understand when their friends are suddenly different, when someone who once behaved this way is suddenly behaving the other way. They don't, they don't get it. They don't understand. And so they're attacking Paul. You see, the same thing happened to Paul in Philippi. He had some success there, but he also suffered greatly. And in the end, he was beaten and tossed out of the city. And the same thing happened in Thessalonica. The people who don't know God don't know what God does and they don't know how God operates and they react to it and they push it out. They don't get it. But even though they don't understand of one thing, they are absolutely certain that it can't be God. Whatever it is making this change, whatever it is making these people act this way, it can't be God. Of that they are sure. Why? Because they don't believe in God. They don't see that God moves. And so they challenge Paul. What's this really about? What are you really doing? What's this really about, this gathering on Sunday morning? What's it, what, hey, what's it, tell me the truth. And they assume that what it's really about is what they assume everything is always really about. Power, fame, impure motives or money. Is that what it's really about? Here's how Paul answers. For the appeal we make, we're into chapter 2 now, our passage, verses 3 through 5. The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. They accused him of of, uh, impure motives. If that sounds lurid, it was meant to. See, Paul had had some success at Philippi, and Paul ministered to women and men equally. And one of the most uh, strongest converts in Philippi was Lydia, a widow, who then started a church in her own home. And so Paul, they're trying to cast Paul now in, an, in, an, in a bad light. What's it really about, Paul? Are you trying to lure our women away? What's under the surface? Because it can't be God. We've all seen when ministries uh, collapse, haven't we? We've seen when ministries fall apart. We've seen when the foundations start to crumble because the leader or those in power in the ministry, those directing it, governing it, they lost track of what it's really about. They got going another direction. It's very tempting to go after the applause and glory of contemporary culture. I want to be a Christian, but you know, I also want to be thought well of, you know? I want people to speak well of me behind their back at the water cooler in their little emails. I want to be a Christian, but I also, I want people to like me, right? Well, it's easy to just 
Maybe just fudge a little bit of doctrine here or there. Maybe there's only a few pages of the scriptures that we need to rip out and leave behind in the trash can. And then we can walk comfortably again in the pulse and the current of our contemporary culture and its values. It's very tempting. It's very tempting to trick people for the sake of the ministry, to bait and switch people. Some of the fastest growing churches in the, in, the, in the third world, in the developing world, are prosperity gospel churches, churches that are hiding the cost of discipleship and promising bold and fraudulent blessings. Oh, if you, if you put a dollar in this plate, a hundred dollars is going to come down to you. I swear it. Right. Such damage is done, such harm is done to the gospel. Why? Because it's not about Jesus. We are not here to trick or to become popular or to do anything else but to stay faithful, always faithful, always open, always faithful to Jesus, faithful to Jesus. Look, here's the thing. If you are entrusted with the message of the gospel, and every one of you as a believer, you're entrusted, you're embedded with the message of the gospel. If you're entrusted with the message of the good news of Jesus, and, and you're approved by God to carry that message, and it's God who searches your heart and who measures your heart, and all of that is true, then you have to decide right now, am I here to please people, or am I here to please God? Am I here to please those around me or am I here to please God in an audience of one? If you are a people pleaser, if your authority or your sense of importance or, or your sense of influence or your sense of self and identity, if it's coming to you from others, from their eyes on you and you derive your value from them and you always have an eye out, an ear out to what other people think about what you're saying about Jesus and his gospel, let me tell you, you will not stay faithful. In the time of trial, you will fall away. But if you decide right now, I'm here to please God. I'm here to please God. If you decide that, you will have such a message, a pure message of good news, you will be able to bless the people around you with so much more than they ever imagined. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. How do we stay embedded and true? How do we stay present in the world and faithful to Christ at the same time so that we can be witnesses? How do we do that? Well, this is how we do it. We ruthlessly and relentlessly remove every possible motive other than Jesus. There is no other motive. What's it really about, Paul? What are you really trying to do? Isn't it about power and influence that you want? No, 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 no. No, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Aren't you really here after money? No, I'm, I'm here. It's about Jesus. Aren't you just trying to trick me and put me under your spell, use your influence to have me under your thumb and do with me what you will to gain the glory and the applause of cheap fame? Ruthlessly remove every false motive. It's about Jesus. 
Paul, what are you trying to do to these people? It's about Jesus. In Acts, we only get one line from all the teaching that Paul did in Thessalonica. We get one line. This is it. Paul said this, Jesus. Of all that he said to them day, week after week in the synagogues, in the streets, all that we get in Acts, the only testimony, if you, if you compress it all down, this Jesus. Would you say this, this, that you can preach the whole sermon with me? Are you ready? Say it with me. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. What's it about, Paul? It's about Jesus. Isn't it really about fame? Isn't it really about money? Isn't it really about your impure motives? No, no, it's about Jesus. Paul said in Ephesus, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. It's about, do you believe him when he says that? Do you believe him that it's about Jesus? Let me tell you, I've read a lot about Paul. I've studied a lot about his life. I believe him. He said, that's it. That's all. That's all my life is. It's Jesus. That's all my life is. I used to oppose oppose him. Now it's only him. I used to push against him. Now all I want is him. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, only Christ, only Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's it about, Paul? What's it really about? What's it about, Paul? Make it about anything. Make it, please, about anything else. Make it about anything but a living God in my relationship with him. Make it about anything but that there's a holy God in heaven who knows me and sees everything that I do. Because if it's about anything else, then I can dismiss it. I can push it aside and I don't have to listen to you anymore. Make it about anything, Paul. Anything at all. I'll take anything. Make it about politics. Make it about economics. Make it about doing good things. Make it about anything at all. Make it about gathering a loyal opposition. Make it about anything. I'll take anything at all in the world as long as it is not putting me in the hands of a living God. And Paul says, it's about Jesus. He gave his all for me. I stand for him. In him alone, it's about Jesus. He died on the cross for me. I stand in the world for him. There's no other motive but his glory. How do we change the world? How do we stay faithful to God embedded in the world? It's about Jesus. Ruthlessly and relentlessly remove any other motive. 
James Davison Hunter, and I know I have to go quickly here. Uh, James Davison Hunter is a renowned sociologist at the University of Virginia. Anytime that someone uses all three names like that, you know they're making a lot of money for being smart. And he wrote a book called To Change the World. He studied how the world changes. And, and what he came up with after studying all the ways that the world changed, he, what he came up with was this. He, he came up with, with this remarkable kind of conclusion that things change because people in power change them. <laughs> people with influence influence things. Didn't you know? But then he studied moments where Christians, small groups of Christians change the world. Moments like when William Wilberforce and a very small group of friends launched an, an opposition to slavery in England and changed the world. Like in the Civil Rights Movement, Martin Luther King Jr. and a very small group of friends, it changed the way we look at one another, changed the world. The Reformation itself, when Martin Luther and John Calvin had a very, very small group of friends, really, changed the world and freed the gospel again to range open and freely across the globe. A very small bunch of friends captured by a vision of heaven held firm in Christ, willing to stay embedded and faithful, willing to be devoted to Christ and in the world where they are. That very small bunch of friends change the world. So I wonder, do you have a, a small bunch of friends? Are you part of a small bunch of friends that's going to help you to stay faithful and embedded, present to the world and true to Jesus? The best argument for the gospel is a people that believes it. That's who we are, church. That's who, we, that's who we're going to be. That's who we have been. And we're not here to trick anybody. We're not here to pull any card tricks. There's nothing up our sleeves. We're just openly faithful to Jesus and we're openly committed to loving our neighbor. We're embedded and faithful. We're not here to win any awards or garner accolades. We're not here for the applause of men. We don't stand for our glory. We stand for Jesus, only Jesus. And we are going to stand out. But we're gonna remain faithful. And when we feel odd... And when we feel different, we'll know that that only makes sense. That only makes sense. When we feel out of place, we know we are in God's purpose. We're going to trust that we are embedded to point to Jesus right where we are. Our presence is God's purpose. And when the, the pressures push and the temptations pull and our feet start to slip we're going to dig down into the bedrock and we're going to reach out and hold on to one another. And we're going to stay embedded and stay always faithful. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Lord Jesus, it's our, our firm hope and open resolve that you would keep a hold of us when the world pulls, when our own hearts pull, when our feet start to slip. Lord, we can't keep the promises that we make, but you can hold on to us. 
Though every man be false, Lord, you are true, and we pray that you would in your mercy be true to us, your church, as we long to to bear witness to you. Give us courage in those moments where we stand out, or that we can know that there's purpose in our being here, to give glory to Jesus, and to watch you work in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.